3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday Breakfast on 3CR. It is the 12th of August and it has just gone 7.03 in the morning. I'm in the studio um, with Malika and Priya's just in the next room getting some audio <laughs> ready. Good morning. How are you going? Good morning, Rosie. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, just um, pumped for second week of lockdown number six. Yeah, look, I was trying to think of something positive to say this morning <laughs> on the way in and what I've got is um, I decided this morning to be really organised and bring some wh- wheat bix into the studio. <gasps> so nice. I've got wheat bix in my bag. So that's that's a good thing for today. That is. A, what is your favourite wheat bix topping? Um, I've got a pretty good combo. I've got banana, strawberry, honey, oh. and a milk in a little jar. So yes, a my little treat is to put Milo on top. It sounds gross, but it actually tastes really good. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, interesting. Um, so we've got another amazing show mm. for you today. Um. Should we run through what we've got on the show? Yeah. Um, we're starting off with um, listening to Nikki, St- Nikki Stott from the 3CR Earth Matters show, who spoke with Chris Shuringa Shrug- from Gecko about the proposed changes to the Victorian State Logging Code. Catch Earth Matters every Sunday from 11 to 11.30 a.m. on 3CR. And then we're going to speak with Paul Healy, State Secretary of the Health and Community Services Union, or HACSU. And Paul is joining us to discuss the Victorian mental health workers' fight for fair remuneration and working conditions. Um, earlier this week, Priya caught up with Wick Gorey about the newly launched fundraiser for Beyond Bricks and Bars Transgender Diversity Carceration Project. Wit is a white trans social worker who has worked alongside communities impacted by criminalisation and incarceration for the past decade. They have been building Beyond Bricks and Bars over the past three years, providing direct support to trans and gender diverse people incarcerated, at risk of incarceration and those re-establishing life after prison. Really looking forward to that conversation mm. with my wheat picks. <laughs> and then, um, Malika, I think you're going to be speaking to Henson, the Research and Policy Officer for the Migrant Workers Centre, and they'll be joining us to discuss um, their new campaign around the future of the visa system in Australia and also talking about their current survey, which is asking migrant workers about their experience in Australia and the impact of the visa system mm-hmm. currently. Mm-hmm. And lastly, we'll be speaking to Nat Osborne, one of the hosts of Radio Reverse, Reversal at 4Z Com- Community Radio 102.1 FM in Minjin, Brisbane, and they will chat to us about their Radiothon fundraiser and the ways community radio can support transformative political projects. Yes, always good to speak to uh, 4ZZZ and other community radio stations across across the country about their work and also their Radiothons and how we can support mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. 
shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and I definitely wasn't in the other room scrambling around like a chick without a head um, while Rosie and Malika were doing the rundown. But just to back up that vaccine uh, message, uh, Western Sydney Mutual Aid, which is a fantastic mutual aid group that's been doing so much to support the community um, while, you know, they've been facing lockdowns and outbreaks and also, you know, discriminatory policing regimes as well, have put out a really great resource um, for discussing the COVID vaccine with your community and loved ones and really having really challenging conversations with your community about breaking down some of those concerns about getting vaccinated because there is a lot of misinformation around and, um, you know, people are afraid and there hasn't been a concern consistent, um, strong public health messaging campaign. So you can find that at, it's, um, it's a series of infographics and you can find it at Western Sydney Mutual Aid on Instagram. So Western Sydney Mutual Aid is their handle. Um, so I encourage people to look it up, especially if uh, friends, family and loved ones are weighing up getting vaccinated but are concerned about it. That's so helpful to provide um, yeah, resources on how to have those conversations because often it's just like talk to people but it's like how do we do that um so it seems like a really important um yeah piece of work yeah cool so now i'm just going to do some headlines so um first up the victorian civil and administrative tribunal has ruled in a landmark case that it is lawful to evict a tenant for unpaid rent accrued during the covid19 eviction moratorium of 2020 and 2021 vcat has also ruled that people could not be forced to repay what they owe until October 25th of this year. Justice Connect principal lawyer Samantha Soawine told The Age that the the test case would set a precedent and that renters now faced risk of eviction and further financial stress after October 25th. 
The Wilderness Society and Gomorrah community members yesterday released a report on the cultural and natural values of the Pilliga Forest. The report also outlines how to support them in their fight against oil and gas giant Santos. Santos wants to develop the $3.6 billion project over 95,000 hectares in the Pilliga and nearby grazing lands, the Koori Mail reports. For more information on the research, on the report, search Moree Ecological Holistic Information Centre on Facebook. The percentage of national disability insurance scheme participants who identify as culturally and linguistically diverse is significantly below expectations set out in a strategy paper produced by the NDIA in 2018. The NDIA's most recent quarterly report suggests that just 9.5% of participants identify in this way, half of the projected 20% by 2019. That's two years ago. Disability advocates say they are not surprised by the data. Dwayne Cranfield, CEO of the National Ethnic Disability Alliance, told SBS News, there is a real lack of ability at the NDIA to engage with culturally diverse people. It's an aspect they really don't understand. The family of missing Gomeroy man, 22-year-old Gordon Copeland, are calling for more police support to continue their search. Gordon Copeland was last seen by police one month ago, running into the Gwydir River. His family believe he was chased into the river by police. Following a rally in Moree two weeks ago, NITV reports that the New England police have committed to continuing their investigation. However, over the last two weeks, the Copeland family and supporters have been pouring their own money and resources into continuing their search. Finally, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has refused to commit to a target of net zero emissions by 2050, following the release of the most recent IPCC report on Monday. The report warns that global temperatures will rise 1.5 degrees Celsius within the decade unless immediate and drastic action is taken to limit global carbon emissions. However, following increasing pressure, the PM has suggested he may have more to say on climate policy in the lead-up to the Conference of Parties, or COP26, taking place in Glasgow this November. And that is all the headlines for this morning. Um, and for people that are concerned about those changes with the eviction moratorium and um, and that VCAT ruling, you can find the Renters and Housing Union um, on Instagram, on um, Twitter, on Facebook, I believe, as well, just by searching, searching Renters and Housing Union. And on their website, they have a lot of information, including a media release that they put out yesterday, which sort of takes you through some of those concerns and what it means for renters and also what you can do. Um, yeah. That's all. Yeah, so important to, yeah, kind of these news headlines. I felt like writing up the news headlines this morning. There's so much terrible news going on, so really important to provide um, those community supports and unions and all the good people we get to come on the show to talk about these things and fight these issues. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here. Never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Yan. 
You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast and it's just gone 7.14 in the morning. Um, so next up we're going to hear a Nikki Stott from 3CR's The Earth Matters show um, speaking with Chris Sharinga from Gecko about the proposed changes to Victorian state logging code. So we've had Chris on the show a number of times before. It'll be really great to hear this um, chat. And Earth Matters usually airs every Sunday. Sorry, it airs every Sunday from 11 till 11.30 a.m. on 3CR 855 a.m. So um, here's Nikki and Chris. Fourteen environment groups, including Environment Victoria and Friends of the Earth, have written to the Victorian Environment Minister urging an immediate extension to the 28-day deadline for community feedback on proposed changes to the state's logging code. The VicGov is rushing through substantial changes to the code of practice for timber production after giving communities less than a month to respond to the nearly 3,000 complex changes spread out over more than 350 pages of documents. Many of the changes are really subtle and very complex, with the allocated community response time extremely inadequate to the task. And there's also been no transparency around the logging industry's input into this process. We'll hear from Chris Sharinga at Goonga Environment Centre. Last week, I was personally lucky enough to attend an online meeting that had been organised by multiple environment groups in Victoria who are concerned about changes to the logging code, many thousands of changes to the logging code. There was a few different speakers from different groups there, and you were there on behalf of Gecko. Do you want to just tell me a little bit about your involvement with that meeting and why it was important for Gecko to be involved in that meeting? One of the main concerns, I suppose, from an East Gippsland perspective is that there are changes in the code which affect certain species and and the citizen science work that we do. And so it will have an implication for our work on the ground. And so that's why we felt it was really important to get involved, to kind of share what it means for, for East Gippsland and also particularly, I suppose, given we're pretty focused on looking at the impacts of the bushfires and trying to lobby, I guess, for action from the government to take into consideration the impacts of the bushfires to really strengthen laws and um, prescriptions. And what we saw was the complete opposite, which is pretty alarming and frustrating. So that's mainly what we were sort of speaking about, but also sharing, I suppose, the concerns from other groups that the consultation process was pretty dodgy and we also were part of a bunch of groups who wrote joint letters to the Environment Minister actually asking for an extension on that 28-day consultation period because, I mean, yeah, how corrupt, giving community groups only a few weeks really to respond to massive changes, some of which, you know, they weren't even documented. We didn't even know what they were. So two days before the submissions closed, we were still finding new problems and new things and and so, you know, what else have we missed out on? We don't know. It's pretty pretty frustrating and shocking. Yeah, particularly sort of in the context that, um, you know, since 2019 when Vic Forest, when the Vic government supposedly pledged to de-escalate or tone down or, or, or pull back on logging heading towards that 2030 goal in Victoria, it sort of seems like a strange outcome to them be making 3,000 changes to the logging code, rushing it through without an adequate amount of time for public scrutiny and accountability. It seems sort of counter, 
to what the government has said they're going to do compared to what they're actually doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They've got this announcement to wind down, but then they're deregulating <laughs> logging. It's pretty, um, yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of a lot of sense. And I suppose it really points to the fact, I think, that, you know, that 2030 date is really based on, it's when the contracts with Australian Paper or Nippon just naturally come to an end. So... I suppose it's convenient for them, but it's not actually reflective of whether our forests and the wildlife that lives there can actually handle logging for another decade. And if they're deregulating logging, then you would argue that that they can't meet their 2030 deadline without logging going into places where maybe they wouldn't have logged before or kind of logging the last little pieces. And certainly um, that announcement was made before the devastating fires and they had an opportunity, I think, to say, well... We've had these huge fires. They've wiped out two-thirds of East Gippsland's forests. It's made forests in the Central Highlands even more important, as well as the small fragments that are left in East Gippsland. They could have said, oh, well, you know, this is a sign. We need to wind it down now. But instead, they're choosing to ramp up logging and deregulate it. <laughs> yeah, so potentially some dire implications from that. And because the process is so opaque, it's it's really hard to even be conclusive about what those implications are, and that in itself is a huge problem. So it's absolutely fantastic to see Gecko, you know, speaking out on that and also getting together. Well, I was really inspired at the meeting to see that 100 people attended that online meeting. Absolutely. How amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right. And 14 different environment groups networking together. Does that seem like... Uh, a bit of a groundswell to you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was really surprised. I think as well because even though the headline is really quite shocking, like, oh, the government are deregulating logging, what the hell? But then when you get bogged down in the details, it's just really dry. It's hard to understand. It's hard for environment groups to understand it. Like, we've never run a legal case, and so we don't even have really the strong background knowledge that some environment groups have been working on this stuff for years. It's complex stuff, purposefully so. And to see, yeah, 100 people, they're really interested in kind of getting into it and getting involved and just calling out the process for what it is, which was just a total sham, it was really inspiring. I left that meeting feeling quite excited and, and happy at a time when, you know, it can be really, really depressing when you hear that the government are coming in with these changes, but to feel the movement and kind of the banding together of the environment groups and all the folks who care about this issue to make a change, it keeps you going, gives gives you some hope. Absolutely, yeah, I feel exactly the same. It's it's just really fantastic. See, it's so easy to get demoralised and depressed yeah. when you're doing environmental activism. And I think, you know, what's really great about this particular... Um, campaign. As you said, there's such a great cross spectrum of skills. There's people who are really knowledgeable about the legal side of things and the lobbying and how all of these kind of government machinations work. And they do a really great job of documenting that and and keeping government accountable. And then there's others of us who are good at media and there's others who are good at um, actual protest and direct action and, you know, resistance, that sort of thing. So... Yeah, it's fantastic to see that there's going to be such a large network of people involved working at all those levels. Is Gecko planning any immediate actions or responses to that particular issue? 
Yeah, I mean, even though even though the submissions have officially closed, I think it's still really great if people just send an email to the Environment Minister and actually just keep the pressure up to say, you know, you can reopen this consultation, this was totally bogus, and just keep saying that we don't want weaker protections, we want and we need stronger protections for wildlife, and just keeping that pressure up. And there was a new timber release plan that came out as well so the submissions for that were due actually around the same date and I suppose we're just going to be checking out some of those areas and seeing what they're like and just continuing on the ground monitoring stuff and hopefully we'll get a chance to hold some sort of event to get people out in the bush as well because after writing submissions uh, it's definitely a good task to do in lockdown you're kind of stuck at home but then it's nice to be able to get out into the forest as well now that the restrictions have kind of eased so yeah. Yeah, and hopefully it's getting a bit warmer, maybe. Yeah. I know you've had some uh, stuff going on with illegal logging as well. Did you want to talk about that? We just kind of put out an update on our website about this just ongoing saga with this area of forest in the Colhoun, which is just, it's not far from Lake's entrance. And um, it's an area we've identified as an important refuge for wildlife impacted by the fires it's kind of surrounded by you know past logging history and the 2019-2020 bushfire extent so really nice little patch of bush where we found high density of yellow-bellied gliders with another East Gippsland environment group while they had already started logging and so the prescription that we got meant that there was meant to be a 100 hectare protection zone put in for the animals But then the department came in and did verification surveys, told us that they were putting in the zone, blah, blah, blah. But then we found out, yeah, that they weren't actually properly protecting them and that the zone was for another density that they'd met, but they were just kind of lumping them all in together, even though they're legally required to put in that extra zone. And so, yeah, it's been a frustrating fight and... um, We're just going to keep going and keep complaining. We've complained to DELP themselves and we've complained to the ombudsman, so we're just going to take it as far as we possibly can because we say it's illegal logging. They should be prosecuting Vic Forest, but they're not doing anything about it and just refusing to put in this protection zone for this species that it hasn't been listed. It's just going straight to endangered because of the impacts of the fires. Like, how can they go in and allow this logging? It's just crazy. Yeah. Mm. And thank you so much to you and to Gecko and everyone involved with that because that's just so much work that's never-ending because Vic Forest continues to do illegal logging all over the place. And if it were not for the actions of all these volunteers going out doing citizen science, surveying and monitoring, then they would just be doing this illegal logging and just trashing forests with total impunity. Thank you so much for having me on. It's so good to be able to have a platform to chat about this stuff. And it's always great chatting with you. So We'll talk to you next time. Take care. Chat to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it is 7.25 in the morning. You just heard an interview by Nikki, Scott, uh, Nikki Stott from 3CR's Earth Matters show with Chris Sharinga from Gecko about proposed changes to the Victorian State Logging Code. And just a reminder, you can catch Earth Matters every Sunday from 11 to 11.30 AM on 3CR 855 AM. And now we're going to go into a track. This was released late last year, and it's called Always Was by Flunt, featuring Dylan Voller and Tani Walker. You are about to receive a phone call from a prisoner at the Casuarina Prison. Your conversation will be recorded. 
Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Don't think now that I'm locked up that you're gonna silence me. Got opinions, but they don't want to help. So they just put it on their statuses and think of themselves. Well, I'ma let my heart pour and I tell it how it is. I'ma do it for my people, I'ma do it for my kids. I don't want them going through the same thing that I did. I just want their future to be brighter and be a freedom fighter. And all my people to be equal when we light the fire. And sit around black and white, not be divided. United, we stand divided. We fall until black lives matter. Don't you ever say, yo, oh, 400 deaths in custody and not one conviction. They try to say sorry but that shit's not gonna fix it the thing that needs fixing is this fucked up system we're jumping up and down but there's no one there to listen if no one's gonna listen then we'll take it to the streets always was always will be 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 To the fullest extent, this is just the most foolish intent. If you choose to express your vent, you're met with hostility, a bullet in the head, and that's death. Speaks to exist left deep in the ditch. This is evil as shit, but people are sick of these evil as bricks playing politics with our lives. We are the kings and the queens of our country. You can't tell me that my mama didn't love me. They still stealing kids. DCP, man, it's real as shit. They're so fucking conditioned that it feels legit. They take away tradition and they feel it with religious shit that tricks the kids to think it's legit. I'm just saying they got all our people praying while our ancestors laying in a ditch. Yeah. Always was, always will be. Always was, always will be. A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and you just heard a track called Always Was by Fluent, Dylan Voller, and Tani Walker. 
And now we're going to go to an interview with Paul Healy, who's the State Secretary of the Health and Community Services Union, or HACSU. And Paul's joining us to discuss Victorian mental health workers' fight for fair remuneration and working conditions. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, good morning. Um, so could you start by telling us a little bit about HACSU's membership and take us through some of the roles that HACSU members are employed in across the health and community services sector? Yes, we're the specialist union for mental health and disability, so we have uh, a close to 10,000 members and, uh, and a very diverse group right across that country dealing with Victorians, some of Victorians' most vulnerable. In mental health, we, we cover nurses, so the nurses in mental health who work across junior ED department in the, in, uh, what, the emergency cat there. We have nurses in, in inpatient units, some aged care, uh, in many community jobs. Uh, also working with the police and ambulance and outreach services, uh, PACER and PROMPT. And, um, and then we cover uh, allied health, so social workers, OTs. We have uh, specialist staff, uh, cleaners and admin workers. We also cover people with lived experience, so both uh, carer and people who have lived consumers who work in mental health supporting people through their journey of recovery. Yeah, awesome. I think... Um what you've what you've outlined there is this really covers um, a whole lot of frontline workers that have definitely been doing or doing a lot of the bearing the brunt of of the COVID uh, pandemic uh, in particular. So, in late June 2021, um, Haxu conducted a survey of members in Victorian public mental health services, which produced a pretty dire picture of the working conditions that you face. Um, so what were some of the most important concerns identified by members and how has the pandemic influenced uh, some of these issues that were pre-existing? Look, mental health has been severely underfunded for a long, long time. It's been very short staff. So there's more than 450 uh, nurses uh, vacant positions in Victoria. Uh, the workforce has been under huge pressure as mental health issues have been We've spoken more widely in the community, which is a fantastic thing, but the services haven't been able to meet up with demand. You also add into the growth in Melbourne uh, pre-pandemic, the growth in Melbourne's population, and there hasn't been the growth in services. So each year, year in, year out, the services have been under more and more pressure, and it's gone from being a really um, proactive service to just a reactive service. So the most unwell people, or a small percentage of most unwell people, get seen, and everyone else has to try and manage their own way. So they've worked under this pressure for for a long, long time. But you add COVID in there, all the PPE and all the other equipment they have to wear to work every single day, and um, and then the the spike in in mental health disorders coming out of the pandemic, and, we, and we've all seen how difficult it is for people to be out of work, not have good steady incomes, and all the funding and all the issues people have that. And also being isolated, and humans are a very social animal, and being isolated from lots of people is really difficult. So, and you add into the short staffing. So some of our members who deal with the COVID also have to deal with um, uh, working double shifts, so 15-hour days. And we had one member last week did four in a row because they're so short-staffed. Um, it means they're missing out on seeing their family. And then you've got your kids at home and you've got to do homeschooling and all that sort of stuff. So there's no real break from the pressure cooker of really difficult, intense work and having to manage the you know, family in isolation. So it's been a really hard time and they have been able to, have to take the breaks. And just people are building up lots and lots of holidays because they just can't take holidays because they're so short stuff. And there's nowhere really you can't go anywhere. So people haven't been going on leave, which they need those breaks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I recall one of the um, outcomes from the survey was 
people were thinking about leaving the sector because of these pressures. Yeah, it's about 10% of the people surveyed said they're thinking about leaving in the next six months, which would be about 700 more staff. So I mentioned the 450, with 700 more left, they actually need another 700 staff to be added into mental health to cover the new bed growth. So throughout the Royal Commission, uh, they've added in 100, 230 new beds. And it usually takes about three staff to one bed. So they're going to be very short staffed and then none of the Royal Commission is going to be able to roll out in an effective manner unless they sort out staffing. Yeah, it is just, um, I guess, appalling to see the amount of pressure that mental health workers are under in Victoria and also with working conditions that are absolutely subpar and don't, you know, and, and pay rates that don't match up to the rest of the sector. So um, HACSU members have been working on raising these issues for some time now, and you presented a log of claims to the Victorian Hospitals Industrial Association back in February of 2020 to underpin your next multi-year enterprise bargaining agreement. Um, can you take us through some of the key proposals that you put forward for a viable EBA and uh, for the state's public mental health workforce and how the Victorian government has responded, if at all? Well, what we did was we, we saw the Royal Commission was coming and we set, up the, we set up our claims to underpin and support the Royal Commission for a strong rollout. So what, that, what came out of the Royal Commission, and particularly a part of our bargain, was that mental health workers need to be paid well and... Um, and, and have good career and have uh, recruitment and attention payments. That came out of the Royal Commission and the Productivity Commission. Uh, the government's offered a pay rise last week of 2%, which makes them, the nurses will be paid less than the general nurses and the allied health will be paid less than, than in, on the general side. So you're not going to re- retain or recruit people into the sector if you don't pay them at a, a reasonable rate. We wanted an allowance paid to mental health workers to really encourage and grow the workforce to get it to a sustainable level. The staffing levels, so we've asked, to, we've asked to put in staffing levels that are safe and that will provide a variety of um, therapies and all the things that the consumers need. And all this work is based on, on what the consumers need and what their families need to give them support to deal with their mental illness. So it's all based on the staffing profiles. And we put it, we've asked for 920 staff we believe is needed across Victoria extra to actually build the workforce and provide the services that are required for Victorians. We also were very keen on uh, progressing, having some progressive policies around um, reproductive leave, and that was uh, for people, male, female and transgender, be able to take time off to deal with any reproductive issues, and we were asking for five days. That's been uh, refused. One of the other areas we're looking at is loss of pregnancy leave. If you lose a baby after 20 weeks, uh, you get your full leave, which is 10 weeks, but if you lose a baby at 19 weeks and six days, you get nothing. We don't, we don't think that's right, and we know that uh, one in five pregnancies lost at 12 weeks, and, uh, and after 12 weeks needs a medical intervention. So we're asking for five days a loss of pregnancy leave. The government said no, and we just think that's disgraceful. It's a female-dominated workforce at 70%. Um, and also we're looking to build career paths and structures and bring in educators so that we can support the workforce as it grows, particularly in the lived experience workers. They have no educators currently. And Allied Health in Victoria only have one educator... Uh, funded educator um, by the government in, in the whole state. That's a workforce of over 1,200. Yeah, that's shocking. And, I mean, really speaks to the fact that you're the public health, uh, public mental health workforce, and yet your own mental health is completely being neglected um, with government's decisions around this. Um, so can you tell us a bit about um, some of the actions that you've been engaged in to, to raise attention and to protest against this? Um, 
Can you tell us about the stop work action that happened last Wednesday, the 4th of August, before we went into lockdown? What did this involve? How did it go? And um, has government made any, uh, ha- given you any indications that there'll be a change or better offers? Uh, yeah, because normally we, we, we love to run big marches, and Melbourne's famous for its uh, marches in the street to unions about various things, and, and uh, we haven't been able to run our marches this time. Uh, we each time we've had a statewide stop work, it's been COVID lockdown. This time we were able to do groups of ten, so we ran sixteen separate actions, really targeting um, Daniel Andrews' office, uh, Minister Palace, Molinos, and Bowies, and um, and also we went to Parliament and met and uh, stood there. And, and although we only met briefly and was COVID safe, we um, we we do those actions. Members have been taking. Uh, Bands. We have bands running currently, which include, you know, some paperwork bands and those types of things to really, um, you know, cause a bit of frustration for hospitals to actually encourage them to get the issue sorted out. Um, it was really good. The members love to get out. They love to actually have a good say with the Royal Commission. When the Royal Commission came out, they were really hopeful that the, the workforce was really optimistic. The Royal Commission was going to bring really positive things. And... The Royal Commission is full of great stuff for the members, but it's going to take a long time to roll out. So the EBA is really important to give them that sort of positivity and a bit of, I call it a sugar hit, a hit to keep them going, keep them positive until the Royal Commission can roll out. And Daniel Andrews said the system was broken. These people are the only thing that holds this system together. This broken system are the workers, and, uh, and they're not looking after them. So it seems really frustrating that members for 18 months now have been had these bans in place have been taking stop works, have been, you know, uh, and they don't get any back pay. So the government saves every day the government wastes. There's money saved by the government. There's money taken out of workers' pockets. And, uh, you know, really making the members really frustrated and angry and, you know, really disillusioned. And that's why 10% of them think they want to leave in the next six months. Yeah, it's completely unacceptable. Like this, this work is essential, needs to be funded, needs to be paid for fairly. Um, So where do we go from here and how can listeners follow along and support HACSU members in your fight for fair working conditions and remuneration? Well, we just, um, we've got lots of campaigns on social media. So get on our social media, HACSU, follow what we're doing there. Uh, It's really about having the conversation with your family members and people you meet to say, hey, mental health needs to be sorted out. The government's, you know, said they're going to spend $3.8 billion on mental health to fix it but they're not prepared to spend any money on workers. It just beggars belief. So get involved with our campaigns. Contact the Minister Molino or your local members and say, hey, this is not good enough. Mental health workers deserve to look after because they're going to look after the mental health of Victoria and that's going to make it a better state. Yeah, thank you so much, Paul, and really encourage listeners to uh, go to Haxu's social media and website and find out more and get involved in those actions. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. And that was Paul Healy, the State Secretary of the Health and Community Services Union, or HACSU, who is speaking with us about the importance of Victorian mental health workers getting access to fair remuneration and working conditions, especially under the extra stress and duress of the COVID-19 pandemic and the mental health crises that have come out of that. Um, it's absolutely shameful that they are still having to fight for quite basic, um, you know, increases in pay and also just basic working conditions to uh I guess, to sustain their own mental health during this time. Um, Yeah, and you're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Female-identifying artists 
aged 18 to 35, are invited to enter the Ellen Jose Art Award, a $15,000 non-acquisitive award. Ellen Jose was a pioneer in Australia's urban indigenous art movement and a radical activist and social justice campaigner. The award is given in the hope that it will support the winning artist's continued development by providing recognition as well as a financial boost. All six finalists will receive an artist fee and have the opportunity for their work to be professionally presented in an exhibition with an accompanying publication. The award is a partnership between the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation and Bayside City Council. Entries are now open and close on Friday the 27th of August. Head to bayside.vic.gov.au and search for the Ellen Jose Art Award for all the details. A 3CR supporter. Look on your way. What can I say? You feel You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. We just heard from Paul Healy, the Secret- uh, State Secretary of the Health and Community Services Union, or HACSU, um, about the Victorian mental health workers' fight for fair remunerations and working conditions. Um, you can keep up to date on what HACSU is doing by following them on like Instagram and Facebook and things like that. Um, and now we'll be listening to an interview um, Priya caught up with Whit Gorey about the newly launched fundraiser for Beyond Bricks and Bars, Transgender, den- sorry, transgender Diverse Decarceration Project. We're now joined by Whit Gari, who's a white trans social worker who has worked alongside communities impacted by criminalization and incarceration for the past decade. They started this work in Minjin with Sisters Inside, and they're now located at Flat Out here in Narm. They've been building beyond bricks and bars over the past three years, providing direct support to trans and gender diverse people incarcerated, at risk of incarceration, and those re-establishing life after prison. Whit, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much. So could you start off by giving listeners a bit of an overview of the state of incarceration of trans and gender diverse people in Victoria and some of the unique challenges that are faced by these members of our community, particularly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and people of colour? Yes, yeah, so the, the majority of um, trans people and gender diverse people um, in Victorian prisons are trans women and gender diverse people are located in men's prisons. And that like that's upwards of 90 to 95% of, of the trans people that are currently in custody. And in terms of, of the, the disproportionate numbers within um, those trans women is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and sister girls. So, you know, being placed in men's prisons for, you know, for these women is incredibly dangerous. You know, the reality is that sexual violence, um, physical violence, psychological violence is that that is the daily reality. And it's constantly navigating um, safety issues, navigating their own safety against those those risks. And then there's also the, the fact that so many of these these women are also placed in protection prisons and are also placed in solitary confinement. That's a, a common um, experience. That's often framed by the prisons as a protective measure. However, you know, solitary confinement for any period of time is extremely detrimental to to mental health. And I don't know any trans woman who's chosen that. Um, that's a decision made, um, not not a, not a decision that they consent to. So. You know, the, the conditions in those prisons 
for trans women in men's prisons. They don't get access to any of the women's specific services like housing services, trauma counselling, um, sexual assault counselling, any of those sorts of things. And it's extremely, extremely isolating um, in addition to, to the, the risks of violence and the, the experiences of violence. So during the course of the pandemic, the challenges that you've spoken about have been further compounded by measures that have been enacted by the prison system. So what are kinds of additional issues that have been raised by some of the people that you support in Victoria, but also elsewhere in so-called Australia? And how have supporters outside like yourself been working with incarcerated community members to navigate some of these challenges? The Like the impact of COVID, um, you know, obviously for, for everyone has, has been really significant, but I, I think the reality is, is that for people who are in prison, they bear the brunt of some of the, the most harshest restrictions. So what we see um, for everyone incarcerated is that things like uh, visits got suspended. So people weren't able to see their family, weren't able to see, you know, that they made that Zoom wasn't allowed, but no one was able to hug their kids or their their grandmother or, you know, like anyone who that, that intimacy, that actual direct contact with people. And that's something that has been really difficult for so many of the, the trans people that I'm supporting, particularly when already so isolated and already um, subjected to the violence of the prison and, you know, the, the transphobia and, and just the general disconnect from any sense of community that comes with being inside a prison. There's also constant lockdowns as well, because obviously if there's ever any kind of threat of COVID entering the prison, they lock it down straight away because if COVID were to get in there, it would be, you know, an absolute disaster because it would just, there's no way of social distancing in a prison. You cannot, that's not possible. There's no ability to have 1.5 metres space when you've got prisons that are completely overcrowded and people are bunked up together, you know, especially when you've got a lot of people that are elderly and and that sort of thing and have other um, complex health issues. So COVID caused for everyone in prison a real pressure cooker and the impact it had in terms of also people being able to get out of prison. So the the ways that services, you know, for example, alcohol and drug support services, a lot of the rehabs and that sort of thing halved their beds or completely like stopped taking referrals for periods of time because they also had to, you know, adhere to social distancing measures and try and reduce the amount of people in their services. And that has a flow-on effect of, of people then not having access to those services and not being able to, to meet very harsh parole and, and bail conditions that we have in Victoria that has also, you know, really expanded the, the prison population in general down here. It's made it very, very difficult for people to get, get released. For trans people... The majority of the people I work with don't have a huge amount of support in the community. They don't have um, a lot of people have no contact with their family because of, of transphobia and, and and other things going on in their lives. For Aboriginal women that I support and cis girls I support that had, do have family um, that may be trying to get out, they can't stay with their family because of the way that Aboriginal people are criminalised in, in this country. So a lot of the, the Aboriginal women I know haven't been able to get approval to stay with family because of the criminalisation of their family members. So if you don't have family to stay with, then you're trying to, you know, you're trying to get housing. That's the number one issue usually for most people is trying to find stable housing. And a lot of the housing providers won't consider an application from you until you're released. So how do you get released if you can't submit an application for housing until you're released? It's just, you know, but you need housing to get released. So it, the whole system and the way that it's structured 
and the way that the bail and parole legislation currently operates really creates massive barriers where people just don't get released. And a lot of people, because it is so complicated, end up just stat, like don't even apply sometimes or just give up on the, on, on parole. So th- there's all that that already existed. And then COVID just really amplified all of those issues even further. And, you know, also for people when they're coming out, trying to set life back up when you're coming into, you know, into Melbourne with the restrictions we had, you can't go to the shops. Like you can't, how does someone, someone can't do a pre-order at Kmart to get some clothes. So they're coming out with literally nothing with, you know, restrictions that make it virtually impossible to get the resources you need. So a response to that, and one of the things that um, myself and a group of other people were involved in organising was it's a, it's a national fund. It's called the Incarcerated Trans and Gender Diverse Community Support Fund. And we kicked that off at the end of last year, knowing like the impact generally for trans and gender diverse people in prison and the lack of resources and, and financial support that people have. And then also really recognising the, the state of urgency we were in with COVID. And so that fund got a huge amount of support and has been able to support trans and gender diverse people in all states and territories pretty much. And it, it provides material and financial aid. So, you know, if someone gets released, they can put in an application to get some funding straight away to assist them with setting up, um, you know, getting clothes, getting new ID, those sorts of things. And so my work sits in with that a little, like I sit in the committee for that, but also it means that if someone gets approved for funding and they need to get a bunch of clothes from Kmart before they get released, I'll work with them once they, you know, get their funding approved to then go and buy those clothes for them and have it ready for them when they're released. Organise rent to be paid up ahead if, if people do have accommodation, food parcels, those sorts of things. So that fund was was something that was like totally mutual aid based, totally community driven. Every single one of those donations is from community members that that care, that want to support people, and it's enabled so many people to get the resources they need to to survive and also provide support to people inside. So we, so that fund also provides like, you know, underwear and different resources that people might sit and need while they're in custody that they can't access, um, particularly if you're in a prison that doesn't align with your gender and you can't access bras and underwear and that sort of thing um, or binders or, you know, different gender affirming clothing. But yeah, I mean, COVID has just had a, it continues to have such a huge impact on people inside because every time we go in lockdown, the prisons are already usually already there. And when we come out of lockdowns, the prisons stay locked down for several more weeks and prison visits and everything halts. And then it slowly opens up again and then we have another lockdown. So, yeah, for, for everything we experience in the community, it's tenfold worse inside the prisons. So I wanted to turn to the new fund that you started, uh, which is related to to this work that you've been doing, but around, uh, yeah, around creating a position, um, a paid position for some dedicated social work support to to sort of formalize some of the stuff that you've been doing as well. So you've been working on developing Beyond Bricks and Bars over the past three years, and this through dedicated relationship building and voluntary support provision for trans and gender diverse community members. Um, so can you tell us a bit about how that project currently operates and what you're fundraising for? Yeah, sure. So Beyond Bricks and Bars started, I think it was 20... 2018 and I was yeah basically working in a a different project in Victorian prisons and um, being a transgender person myself 
as a social worker in that space, I started getting requests from from trans women inside to come and meet with them. And so, you know, I initially met with uh, a couple of trans women in there. And then from word of mouth, more and more trans people started requesting to meet with me. Yeah, and just started, started providing support on the side of, of the other work that I was doing. And that has really built from there um, through that word of mouth and then also through lawyers and referrals and those sorts of things. And so that that support really focuses on kind of three areas, all focused on the prevention of, of incarceration, basically. So, so the, you know, there's, there's prevention um, for people at risk of going in and, and building supports necessary and making sure people have good legal representation and that sort of thing to try and reduce the chance of going into prison. There's support while people are inside and quite literally working with people to stay alive under, you know, duress and really extreme conditions, especially for trans women in men's prisons. And then it's the post-release support. So really working with people around, you know, whether it's people coming out on parole, building the supports they need so that the parole board will actually approve the application, working with, yeah, I recently worked with a Aboriginal woman who basically she needed, she needed to sort out housing to get bail and she was uh, offered a, 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 a office of housing property and she needed someone to advocate to be able to convince them to hold the property so that it could be taken to the court and the court could, you know, could release her now that she had this this property. So working with that fund, I was able to secure funding to assist her with the rent to hold the property and then work with the court and explaining to them to the magistrate, you know, how she'd been homeless for 10 years. So this was an opportunity she could not miss. But she needed someone to advocate in the community for her because that, you know, how, how is she going to be able to explain all those things and also how, how is she going to get funding to cover the rent and that sort of thing. So I worked with her around that and she's now got that property. She's been released. She's been in that property for several months. Yeah, so like things like that because when you're in prison, unless you have services or you have family to advocate on the outside, it's virtually impossible. The trans and gender diverse people that I, I support, though, do incredible self-advocacy inside. The things that they fought for to try and, you know, just to get some, some basic things changed and, and the, the fight they have to, to access, you know, things like hormones and health services and that sort of thing is just incredible against, yeah, conditions that are, are really beyond what anyone should, should be put through. And it's certainly an additional form of, like, prisons are always based on punishment, but for a trans person placed in a prison where there, there's a direct safety threats every single day, that's the level of punishment is just so much more severe than, than a, say, a cis person in a prison that aligns with their gender. Yeah, so this project really started as a response, just in conversations with people and identifying where the gaps were and identifying the support needs and building from there. And it's now reached a point where there's, I currently support 15 people. It, majority of people are currently incarcerated. A few people are now post-release that I, I continue providing support to and realising that there's just no way that's sustainable to do that unfunded. So, yeah, through conversations with various people, I was encouraged to um, put a crowdfunder out because we did apply for some some funding through some other grants and that sort of thing and weren't successful. We were very close, very, very close, but we didn't quite make the – didn't quite make it. And I'm very encouraged by the feedback we got around the grant applications, and I, I do think the project will get funded eventually. But the thinking around the crowdfunder was – Let's get some immediate funding to stabilise the work, build it, meet the referrals that are coming in, which are, are constant, and then also have the capacity to really um, fight for that funding that this project deserves and the people inside deserve the support with. So, yeah, that's kind of how it's evolved. So that's why the, the crowdfunder is up there now. Yeah, and um, 
I guess for, uh, from what you've been saying, it, it really shows that there's a lack of dedicated support. So actually being able to fund at least one year of a social worker um, working full time dedicated towards this specific role will be so important. So can you tell listeners uh, where they can find out more about Beyond Bricks and Bars and make a donation to support? Yeah, absolutely. So it's on chuffed.org. Um, uh, if you just look up Beyond Bricks and Bars, Trans and Gender Diverse Decarceration Project um, on Shaft or just Google that, actually, it'll just come up. And then there's a lot more detail about the project, um, the aims of the project, and also a bunch of really beautifully written testimonials from some of the trans people that are currently supported who they um, kindly sent through to me to add to the fund. And we've also been really lucky to secure a, a very small grant from Transgender Victoria in that's coming through this month for $10,000 that's also assisting the fund. They've been a huge support of the project. So, yeah, that's also been some really amazing community support. But, yeah, you can check it out on Chuffed. Um, and, yeah, be grateful if even a couple of dollars could be sent to the project. Um, and just also getting it out there, sharing it around would be really appreciated. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Wit. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to take us through this and all of the excellent work that you've been doing. Thanks, mate. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. Female identifying artists aged 18 to 35 are invited to enter the Ellen Jose Art Award, a $15,000 non-acquisitive award. Ellen Jose was a pioneer in Australia's urban Indigenous art movement and a radical activist and social justice campaigner. The award is given in the hope that it will support the winning artist's continued development by providing recognition as well as a financial boost. All six finalists will receive an artist fee and have the opportunity for their work to be professionally presented in an exhibition with an accompanying publication. The award is a partnership between the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation and Bayside City Council. Entries are now open and close on Friday the 27th of August. Head to bayside.vic.gov.au and search for the Ellen Jose Art Award for all the details. A 3CR supporter. Look on your way What can I say You feel it You change your you're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM and it has just gone 8.01 in the morning. 
And you just heard an interview uh, that I did earlier this week with Wick Gari about the newly launched fundraiser for Beyond Bricks and Bars, Trans and Gender Diverse Decarceration Project. And Wick's been building Beyond Bricks and Bars over the past three years, providing direct support, unfunded, to trans and gender diverse people incarcerated, at risk of incarceration, and those reestablishing life after prison. So, again, you can find that at chuffed.org uh, just by looking up Beyond Bricks and Bars, Trans Gender Diverse Decarceration project to support a dedicated social worker to be remunerated for this work over at least a year. And now we're going to go into another track. And this is a new one from Teether and Kuya Neil. This track is Theory.
Welcome back. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. We just heard the track Theory by Teva and Kuyanil. And before that, we heard um, a conversation between Priya and Wit Gori about the newly launched fundraiser for the Beyond Bricks and Bars Transgender Diversity Carceration Project. We will now be speaking to Henson, the Research and Policy Officer from the Migrant Workers Centre, who will be joining us to talk about their new campaign around the future of the visa system in Australia, and as well as their current survey, which is asking migrant workers about their experiences in Australia and the impact of the visa system. Hi, Henson. How are you? Good morning. Uh, it's Hassan. Thank oh, you for having me. Thank you for correcting me, Hassan. Um, no, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, I guess I'll just get right into it. Um, so last year, the Morrison government made it quite clear that they would prioritise supporting citizens and residents during the global pandemic. And this failed to acknowledge the diverse groups of people living, working and studying in this country that don't fall under these two campaigns. Can you tell us a bit more about this new campaign by the Migrant Workers Centre around creating pathways into permanent visas? Sure. Uh, we believe that all working people in Australia deserve a secure life, but uh, we hear from many people who have no visa options how they struggle to extend their stay in Australia. Mm. So we believe that the government is using temporary migration, not just migration as an economy strategy, mm. but a temporary migration as a, a strategy uh, without thinking about its impact on real people. Mm. So they are using it in order to uh, fill the skill gaps, but not really um, giving these people a way to plan their lives. Mm. That's why we have launched this campaign to uh, ask the government better pathways to permanency in Australia, who uh, the people who have been making a lot of contributions in uh, to this country, not only economically, but also in so many different ways. And uh, as part of the campaign, we have launched an online survey, which yeah. is going really great. A lot of people are answering uh, the survey and giving us um, their ideas about how to fix the system. Yeah, and can you tell us a bit more about this survey? Like, what kind of information is this survey hoping to gather? Well, we are investigating uh, what aspects of temporary visas are affecting temporary um, migrant workers' lives and what they think, um, what they suggest for a change in the migration policy. So we asked them uh, if they have ever had a trouble making career progress because of their visas, or if they ever had trouble renting a house or an apartment in Australia uh, because they, um, their, their visa has an expiry date, yeah. or um, what, the, what are the biggest challenges for them to acquire permanent residency, like moving from one visa to another. And um, we want to bring the government's attention to um, that these people who are suffering from the insecurity of temporary visas and yeah. we will publish the results into a report and uh, and deliver it to the government yeah. so that it can fix the loopholes. Yeah, because I know for a lot of people here um, on temporary visas or on different types of visas, um, many of them get rejected when applying for jobs because they're not a citizen or permanent resident, whereas all they need mm-hmm. is like full working rights, but they kind of actively getting discriminated in these processes, which is unfair because exactly. they're wanting to like work and live their life whilst they are here in Australia, but aren't able to access those basic rights for no real reason. 
Mm-hmm. Um, That's correct. And what have been some of the preliminary kind of responses or findings from the survey so far? Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, at an early stage, but what we can see is that a lot of people, um, like, you know, uh, the government has closed the border since early 2020. Yeah. So the people who are staying in the country um, on a temporary visa, they are, uh, the majority of the people who have arrived in the country between 2008 and 2019. And, um, well, we do have some people who have uh, arrived even earlier than that. And uh, the average number of visas they have applied in the country to stay in the country is about five. And this does not include all the bridging visas between one uh, substantive visa to another. And um, a lot of them have arrived as a student and uh, they're having a lot of um, extreme stress and um, yeah. they're complaining about uh, demising mental health because of the insecurity of their their life here. And these are highly educated people, professionals who have great skills from their home countries and uh, they have also done a lot of professional education and training in Australia as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's a a lot of um, skills being uh, wasted. So spot on. Um, And I guess from doing this survey as well as working on this campaign, what what would you say is the ideal outcome um, from the Migrant Workers Centre's perspective with changes to the current visa system? We really need to streamline visas because if you hold a, a certain visa and uh, then can uh, extend that visa with uh, so many other temporary visa options but not um, through a permanent visa, then uh, we can definitely say that there is a problem. And these people can have jobs in Australia because Australia needs their skills. So um, we are now creating a system where people with skills are being employed and allowed to stay in the country for years and years, but um, letting them to the vulnerability of exploitation because a lot of people are complaining about the exploitation and underpayment and discrimination they are experiencing while holding temporary visas. So we definitely need to change the visa system. And at the same time, um, we need to uh, fix the the idea of giving employers the power to sponsor workers. Now, uh, workers, when they are sponsored by an employer, for a temporary visa, they can move on to a permanent residency only when the employer agrees to sponsor them for permanent residency. But when we know that these people have skills and have local experience of working in this country and contributing to the economy, why do we need an employer to sponsor them for permanent residency? I think we need to change the mindset in the visa system as well. Yeah, yeah. Completely agree. And for listeners um, who are interested in learning more about this campaign but also supporting it, how can they kind of support what the Migrant Workers Centre is doing? Mm. Well, if you were born in Australia, 
then um, maybe you have no visa experience in this country. So please spread the word about our campaign uh, to migrant workers around you and also demand your MP and the government to fix this broken immigration system. And if you were not born in Australia, please visit uh, the Migrant Workers Center's website, themigrantworkers.org.au, and participate in our campaign. Of course. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing a bit more about the work that your team is doing. Um, And, yeah, for listeners who are interested in learning more, please go check out the Migrant Workers Centre on Facebook, Instagram, as well as their website. Thank you. You're right. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You are listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR. We just heard from Hessen from the Migrant Workers Centre who spoke to us about their recent campaign um, around the future of the visa system in Australia as well as a survey they are currently conducting um, to gather stories and responses from migrant workers about their experiences um, living and working in Australia. Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy... Aha! Pansexual. Knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Passaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and it is about 8.15 in the morning. And we're now joined by Dr. Natalie Osborne, who is one of the hosts of Radio Reversal on 4ZZZ Community Radio 102.1 FM in Minjin, or Brisbane. And uh, Natalie's joining us to talk about the 4ZZZ Radiothon fundraiser and ways that community radio can support transformative political projects. So, hi, Natalie. Thanks so much for making the time. Hi, no, thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really great uh, to have the opportunity to speak with other broadcasters when we can as well. And, um, you know, we're really grateful for the support that you guys have provided us on social media when we had Radiothon too. Oh yeah, look, it's, it's all one big community, right? We've got to, we've got to help each other out in the world of community radio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so can you tell listeners a little bit about, um, First of all, Radio Reversal, what, what is the show that you do? Um, because we've definitely, um, with permission, played a little bits and pieces uh, from some of the interviews that you've done, and we really love the work that you do. 
Yeah, and likewise, I know we've we've played some of your work as well. Um, yeah, so at Radio Reversal, we're a collectively produced show, and I guess the heart of what we do is to try and look at everyday things and experiences and concepts through a feminist, anti-capitalist, anti-racist lens. Um, and we do a lot of work to try and cover political struggles playing out here um, on Jagger and Terrible Country in Mianjin, Brisbane, where we are. Um, and we, I guess we try and do this as accessibly and engagingly as we can, and we really try and bring together the work of critical and radical academics, artists and activists, and all those who sit across those weird categories um, to, to what is a really broad and diverse audience here at 4 Z. Yeah, I've been really impressed with um, the way that the Radio Reversal crew have been able to bring academics in particular who are, who are working on quite theoretical and specific topics into really accessible conversation on community radio to translate some of these concepts that they're working on and uh, relate them to political action on the ground. It's one of the nicest things about this amazing platform at at 4ZZZ and in community radio more generally is that, um, I mean, academics usually want to talk about their work, but it takes time to kind of, and I'm in this category too, to draw us out in a way that's, that's, is engaging and accessible. And we just have lots of time. Normally when academics speak to the media, like mainstream media, they're asked to give like a a five-second grab or talk for 30 seconds or something. And really being able to dig into things deeply is, I think, where we can find the truths that really people can connect to. And so having, you know, an hour or two hours to really drill into that um, makes a huge difference, I think. Yeah, I've definitely appreciated uh, being given a platform at least once to try and bumble my way through the research that I'm doing on 4ZZZ. <laughs> I, I feel like fumbling together is a big part of the whole um, the whole community radio project, right? Fumbling and learning together. It's really important. Exactly. Um, so I guess I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, 4ZZZ and the, and the work that you guys have been doing for quite a long time um, up in Minjin and why people should be supporting 4ZZZ. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so FourTripleZ is a is a venerable old institution um, in in I guess radio um, timelines. It's about forty five years old. We had our forty fifth birthday last year, um, and its roots were kind of in the deeply cooked politics of the seventies um, and eighties here in Queensland, which, as I'm sure many of your listeners know, were a time of um, I guess particular corruption and. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, I don't want to pretend like there's a clear line of when the political situation got cooked, but I've got a quote here from Claire Grenet, who was a journo with 4 Triple Z in the 80s, and she said that the political situation then was really scary. It was a police state with a dictator who had an electoral gerrymander. There was just corruption everywhere. And so 4 Triple Z was really born out of that time. There continues to be a really important space and platform and condition of possibility for all radical and emancipatory politics in Mianjin, um, and I guess part of what we try and do at 4 Z and particularly at Radio Reversal is is trying to trace and show that that fashy police state under Joe Bjorki-Peterson in the 70s and 80s is part of a longer and ongoing history of settler colonialism and carceral systems and capitalist exploitation. But also that resistance is still here, you know, the resistance that gave birth to 4 Z is still sustaining it to this day, and, and I think that's also a really important part of the story. So, you know, Brizzy gets a bad rap for being conservative, but um, there's a there's a lot going on in terms of radical politics and also in local music, you know, and that's also a big part of community radio is supporting local artists who are doing brilliant, beautiful, exciting music um, and other forms of art here in the Anton. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think like there's also there's a really rich tradition of community re- uh, media in uh, Mianjin, whether it is for Triple Z or uh, 98.9 FM and you know, the Brisbane Indigenous Media Association. There's some really awesome um, radio stations uh, engaging in radical politics and having these really important discussions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's an ecosystem and, and all, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so how can um, how can people get involved in supporting uh, 4ZZZ's Radiothon fundraiser and where can yeah. people listen to you? Oh, okay, great. So, I mean, the best thing to do is to hop on our website at 4ZZZ.org.au where you can live stream online whatever's playing um, at the moment. And if you head to the Radiothon tab, you will be taken to a website where you can subscribe. There's lots of different subscriber options, even down to like... You know, there's concession rates and rates for pets and things like that. I know that your listeners are in Nam and so you've got your own community radio to support. Um, but if you can, chuck a bit of money our way. It obviously is really crucial for us and you can go in the running to win some really dope prizes at the moment. And the other thing I wanted to particularly shout out is for um, bands and solo artists. Um, we've got rates where if you're a band, it's 155 bucks to, to subscribe. For a solo artist, it's 80 bucks. But that comes with the amazing benefit of a two-week live read campaign on our station, which is valued at 400 bucks. And so in the time when it's possible to come and tour again, you know, you can give that tour a shout-out um, to the Mianjin crew, to, to everyone on the ground here. You can also promote upcoming releases and things like that. So um, it's a really good deal. For, for musicians who might want to come and see their fans in Brizzy again sometime. Yeah, fantastic. And I think, um, you know, we need to get on the on the prize train for, for our next Radiothon. Um, no, oh, no, yeah. no pressure, other 3CR people. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> no, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And um, I believe Radio Reversal is on at 9 a.m. That's it. So I'm going to thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute delight and privilege to be to be speaking with you. And yeah, I'm about to run upstairs and, and get our Dream Baby Dream show, show on the air today. And we're going to be talking about the role of dreaming in political struggles and, and how those practices of imagining can kind of sustain us. Incredible. Well, all the best with Radiothon and go, go, go. Thank you so much. You have a great one. You too. And that was Dr. Natalie Osborne, who's one of the hosts of Radio Reversal on 4ZZZ Community Radio. That's 102.1 FM in Minjin or Brisbane. And she joined us to talk about the Radiothon fundraiser that 4ZZZ has on now and the ways that community radio has been able to support transformative political projects. And you're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. And now we're going to go to a track by Kirapuru. This is Molotov.
Listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and we're just coming up to the end of our show, and that was Molotov by Kira Puru. Yeah, what a huge show. Again, we're just always reflecting. It goes so quickly. We talk about so many things. So should we give a quick rundown of what's happened today? Sure. Yeah, so first up, we heard from Nikki Stott on 3CR Earth Matters show, and um, Nikki was speaking with Chris Sharinga from Gecko about the proposed changes to the Victorian State Logging Code, and you can catch Earth Matters every Sunday from 11 till 11.30 on 3CR. We then spoke with Paul Healy, State Secretary of the Health and Community Services Union, or HACSU, who joined us to discuss Victorian mental health workers' fight for fair remuneration and working conditions. And then earlier this week, I caught up with Whit Gorey about the newly launched fundraiser for Beyond Bricks and Bars, Transgender Diverse Decarceration Project. So we played that interview. And Whit is a white trans social worker who's worked alongside communities impacted by criminalization and incarceration for the past decade. And they've been building this project, Beyond Bricks and Bars, over the past three years, which provides direct support and currently unfunded to trans and gender diverse people incarcerated at and at risk of incarceration and those reestablishing life after prison. We then spoke to Hessen, the Research and Policy Officer from the Migrant Workers Centre, about their new campaign and survey um, around the future of the visa system in Australia for migrant workers. And lastly, we were joined by Nat Osborne, one of the hosts of Radio Reversal on 4ZZZ Community Radio, who talked to us about their Radiothon fundraiser. Yeah, and uh, that's pretty much all we have time for today, but we just wanted to give a beautiful thank you and shout out to our very own Carly Beck, who is taking a little bit of a step back from 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. She's not gone completely. We didn't let her leave the group chat, (laughs) but um, she's very busy, and we just want to say that she's an awesome broadcaster, and I'm sure all our listeners, um, as well as us in the studio, will miss her being around every Thursday morning. We love you, Carly. Thanks so much for your awesome work. Yeah.
UCR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.